Hello, and welcome to Altamar. I'm Muni Jensen. And I'm Peter Schechter, here to navigate the high seas of global politics, just like we do twice a month. Today, we're going to talk about the Israeli elections, a topic that we seem to like get back to every couple of months. And I know that Mooney is like being driven insane by this because we keep doing this over and over again. No kidding. It's a monthly thing now. (laughs) And I know we're not exaggerating as we've carefully followed this convoluted electoral calendar in Israel and its global ramifications. And today, like before, we're going to be joined by Gil Tamari, an accomplished Israeli journalist, a dear friend, and he regularly helps us sift through Israeli politics. Have we discussed before and before and before in Israeli elections, Israeli voters are really evenly divided. And in election after election, the fragile Knesset majorities eke out pretty weak and wobbly governments that have fallen way before the end of their mandate. This time, the glaring headline is Bibi Netanyahu, already Israel's longest serving prime minister, is back. He's back in power, creating ripples of concern around the world. But there's a catch to this. The worry is far less about Bibi, who is saddled with multiple corruption, bribery, and fraud investigations. Indeed, the worry is about the extreme right electoral coalition that he forged to get elected. And this coalition, if it becomes a government, could change the course of Israeli politics and even the course of Israeli democracy, certainly not for the better. Yes, it's true, Peter. And and yes, we've covered a lot. And this is different. It it has taken, Israeli politics has taken a, a dangerous turn. The religious Zionist party is now the third largest in parliament. They were fringe before, known for extremist autocratic views. The bipartisan power sharing attempt that we discussed earlier that ended Bibi's rule in 2021 was short-lived and came to an end this November. And it could soon be replaced by a frightening right-wing coalition of ultra-nationalist, racist, homophobic extremists that have moved straight from the fringes into the limelight and into what we now is turning into conventional politics. Bibi, who has for years cultivated an image as the only stable figure, able to keep the peace in a very hostile neighborhood, now has unusually dangerous bedfellows. Although, I have to say, it's not even clear that he will be able to pull off a government this way. There are already fractures that we're looking at. Yeah, that's that's totally right, Mooney, because the situation is already very super complex for BB, as his dangerous alliances could complicate his ability to govern. Already, his coalition is in trouble because it looks more beholden to the extreme right than his very own party, the Likuds, and his allies. On the domestic front, he had promised the defense, finance, and foreign ministries appointments to his party, but he's already broken these promises and he's caving into the far right. And on a global level, it's going to be hard for Western allies, especially the United States, to continue to support his coalition if you have that type of a party as a coalition partner. The religious Zionist party, so helpful in the elections, already proving to be a pretty big liability in government and governing. The quintessential negotiator is facing an uphill ride. So let's hear from Taya about the concerning trends about the rising interest of young people in an anti-systemic vote, and in this case, a vote for the religious Zionist party who helped the right to power. Hi, I'm Taya Ivanovich, and this is Taya's Take, where we take a look at youth and social justice issues 
And today we'll look at a very interesting phenomenon, and it's Israel's youth, many of Israel's youth, that are leading Israel's move to the extreme right. Many teenagers are really bringing a party atmosphere to the rallies of politician Idamir Ben-Gavir, who's a religious Zionist, anti-democratic, homophobe extremist. And Ben-Gavir joined religious Zionism as a co-leader at the behest of Bibi Netanyahu to bolster support for Netanyahu's far-right bloc in parliament. And his popularity has propelled Bibi back to the top job and has pulled Israeli politics further to the right. Once he was on the fringe, and Ben Gavir might now become actually a government minister. His platform includes a greater scope for the police to shoot, quote-unquote, terrorist Arabs, as he supports weakening the Supreme Court's ability to strike down laws. He also wants to remove the offenses of fraud and breach of trust, which, incidentally, Netanyahu is on trial for, and he wants to remove them from the criminal code altogether. Such moves really strike fear into Israeli-Arab communities and will likely alienate international allies, such as the United States, at least under democratic leadership. And Netanyahu avoids being photographed with Ben Gavir, but he was willing to call on his voters to secure his own majority. And now he will have to figure out how to accommodate an extremist in his new government. So why are many of Israel's youth so far to the right? Unlike in America and in many parts of the world, younger voters in Israel are generally more conservative than their elders. And the religious Zionist party's hardline message, mixed with clarity of purpose, appeals to a generation of voters who have known nothing but a series of inconclusive elections that resulted in short-lasting and muddled coalitions. So the youth has really lost faith in negotiating with the Palestinians and are increasingly politically conservative and religious. And as a likely consequence, a more right-wing Israel will lead to increased numbers of younger American Jews distancing themselves. And this is really interesting because by the numbers, 71% of American Jews classify themselves as Democrats. And younger American Jews are also more ethnically diverse. And according to Pew Research, more Jews say it's important for future grandchildren to share their political convictions and to carry on their family name rather than it is to marry someone who is Jewish. And that's a big change from just a few years ago. And where support for Israel was once bipartisan, it was almost a rubber stamp reality in, in U.S. Congress, the Democratic Party's multicultural, multiracial base is increasingly skeptical of walking in lockstep with Israel. And a ruling coalition that places a premium on God and country, or quote-unquote the people, and the land will only remind America's progressive young people of Trump, MAGA, and the blood and soil neo-Nazis who marched in Charlottesville in 2017. And that's interesting because in the U.S. there is obviously a huge Jewish population so here's my take. Israel is in a very dangerous place. The fuse is being lit in one of the world's most tense political and social environments. Foreign allies are taking a step back and analyzing their next move. But many of Israel's allies, thinking mostly about the U.S., are having a lot of domestic problems. So adding all these ingredients together make for a very troublesome recipe. So as always, I'd love to hear what you think. Join the conversation by tweeting at Altamar Podcast. Thank you, Taya. The problem in my mind is less about Bibi in the Middle East. Bibi is a known quantity. 
you know, his implacable anti-Iran stance is popular with the Saudis, with the Emiratis, with the Qataris, even with the Bahrainis. The problem is that Atam, Itamar Ben-Gvir, his anti-Arab racist rants, that's the problem, that's the crux of the issue. Can Benjamin Netanyahu afford to allow this coalition to even be born? Let's add Gil Tamari to this conversation. Gil Tamari is the chief international news editor and commentator for Israel's leading channel, News 13. He is the former Washington bureau chief for Israel's Channel 10 News, and he worked for the Israel Broadcasting Authority, Israel Public Radio, as its anchor and chief editor for Good Morning Israel. He's interviewed U.S. and Israeli politicians such as Prime Ministers Benjamin Netanyahu, Ehud Barak, Ehud Olmert, Ariel Sharon. Gil has served as the international editor of Forbes Israel magazine, economic editor of both Israel TV and the IDF radio, and a writer for Globes, Israel's premier business newspaper. Gil, our dear friend, thank you for joining us and coming back to Altamar. So, Gil, tell us a little bit what's happening in Israel. It's the fifth election in four years Describe the climate. What, what, what's going on? Well, in recent years, the political debate in Israel has stopped being along ideological lines between right and left. Israeli society has shifted so much uh, to the right that any leftist agenda actually has no power to get the support of the majority of the Israeli public. Uh, I'll give you just one figure. More than 60% of the Israelis describe themselves as at least right-leaning or holding right-wing uh, positions. Uh, so, uh, and another thing that I would like to mention that in Israel, when we are saying right, doesn't have to do with the conservative economic agenda. When Israel, when you are saying right, we mean against the prospect of a Palestinian state, support for Jewish settlement in, uh, in the territories that uh, uh, some of them call uh, Judea and Samaria, and for more traditional uh, religious uh, life. So theoretically, in this kind of a political atmosphere, uh, it can suggest that Bibi can rule forever. But the reality that is that we had uh, five consecutive election cycles in less than four years. So uh, the reason is that the political debate in Israel is mainly in, since 2019 about one thing or one person really, which is Bibi. Either you support him or you are against him. So for the last four years, there have been two political blocks. On one side, you have the pro-Bibi block, the Bibi supporters, which are all the usual suspects. And on the other side, there are people mainly from the center and the left and some from the right side of the political map. And they are the anti-Bibi block. Now, the two blocks are almost identical in their size. And that's the way we have so many uh, election cycles uh, because no one can sustain a stable coalition. So after a year in power, uh, the anti-Bibi government uh, that was in power collapsed, which has brought us back to this point in this election. But isn't there a relatively new player in the pro-BB camp, which is this the religious Zionist party and Itamar Ben-Gvir, who has shot up in the polls and has become this, uh, I don't know, is it wrong to call him a kingmaker? 
Uh, I, I want to talk about Bangberry, but I would like to, to explain another thing, if I may, because the, the main reason that BB is back to power is the fact that he played the political game in a much clever way than his opponent. The, if we measure the number of voters for each block, it was almost identical. There is just uh, less than 5,000 people that voted more for the pro-BB block. The issue is that the other block, the, the anti-BB block, uh, didn't uh, uh, join forces as the other block, and therefore two parties that didn't meet the threshold of uh, 3.25% of the votes actually were not included in the parliament. That means like 6% of the votes are not in the game as of right now. And that's actually the reason BB has a, a majority. Now you asked about the new player in town. He's not new at all, but right now he became a, a shooting star. His name is uh, Itamar Bengvir. Uh, if you want me to describe him to you, I will tell you that he's a racist extremist that uh, devoted, uh, uh, that he was a devoted follower of, uh, you remember, the racist uh, rabbi, anti-Arab rabbi Meir Kahana, so he is a follower of Kahana. Bengvir was convicted eight times and was indicted more than 50 times uh, for hate speech against uh, Arabs and uh, other extreme activities. I'll give you another example. One of his uh, role models uh, was a Jewish terrorist by the name Baruch Goldstein, who massacred 20 Muslim worshippers in uh, Hebron during prayer in the cave of the biblical patriarch. And uh, I still remember during uh, the Rabin era, uh, Bengvir was one of the people who incited violence and called for the uh, for doing something with the prime minister. And famously, he stole the hood ornament, the Cadillac ornament from the prime minister official car, and show it on TV and said, "We got to his car and we'll get to him too." So he joined forces with another guy named Bessal Smotrich, who is among other things, uh, also is against the LGBTQ community, and they are right now the largest partners in Bibi's new government. So that deal leads me exactly to the question. So is Bibi actually going to form a government with these people? And isn't sure. this sort of extremist sure. nature of this government going to be a real problem for Israel? Bengvir is going to be Listen carefully, Israel's national security minister, not less. The guy that is in charge on the police force, on law enforcement in general, and beyond with authority that is unprecedented to anyone who hold this kind of office uh, in the past. And yes, it's sad to say, but Bibi is the most moderate voice in his extremist government. Uh, which is uh, based on Bengvir, on Smotrich, and the other uh, religious parties. And uh, you ask me if it's a problem. 
it depends who you ask and uh, how do you measure a problem. I can tell you that, uh, uh, for instance, uh, Rabbi Jacobs, which is the head of the Jewish reform movement in America, compared nominating the National Security Minister to nominating David Duke, the leader of the KKK, to the U.S. Attorney General. So this demonstrates the magnitude of the reaction to uh, the coming government outside of Israel. So, Gil, you've really underlined the risk of having this party in office, but there is a, co- a coalition with other other players. You also mentioned that there was an important, you know, security position for the Zionist party, but how much real power do they have in the coalition? Is there opposition within the coalition? No. It's a unanimous coalition of the right wing. It's right and more right. Uh, Bibi is the mo- moderate voice there. He's like the leftist guy in, a, in, a, in the agenda. Uh, is very, very challenging that they are uh, putting ahead of themselves because uh, they are talking, for instance, about uh, changing the uh, the law in a way that uh, they, the Knesset, the parliament, can overrule any Supreme Court decision, uh, which means that the uh, the parliament can decide in a majority vote to cancel uh, any ruling, uh, and it's a major threat to Israel uh, democracy, uh, especially because Israel doesn't have institution to defend the democratic system and the democratic nature uh, of the country, not to mention uh, the LGBTQ community and the minorities in general in Israel. So Netanyahu has been has proven to be a a, a very masterful political uh, kind of puzzle maker, and now he's created a government that, even for him, with all of his experience, will be very challenging. So will he face resistance from his own party? And then what are the chances of a backlash where he will suddenly decide to to move the coalition to the center and leave some of the extremists in the dust, or is it too late? Uh, I think... uh... This is a wishful thinking at most. I don't see this happening. Uh, We will have a fully right-wing coalition. Uh, The one that the Israeli right, by the way, wished for many years. And now it will uh, will happen. Now the moderation will become, if you ask me, from uh, running the government. When you are running the government, you have to be much more moderate than your rhetoric uh, be prior to the election, so that's the silver lining of the of the coming government. There's a, a some long-awaited reforms, economic reforms for Israel. Do you think this government will be able to execute a, a, a solid economic policy? It's difficult to say. Uh, if we are talking about the economic challenges, so. Uh, Israel needs to reform its housing market and to make houses affordable. It's a major issue. Uh, No one uh, that uh, is uh, having a normal salary can afford today a house in Israel. Israel should uh, transform its transportation system because right now Israel's transportation is one of 
one big traffic jam. Uh, we also know that more money uh, from the government's budget will go now to the settlements and the settlers and also to the ultra-Orthodox. So uh, we will have to wait and see and to see how the new government is handling all these challenges. And uh, there will be many more security threats, of course, and I didn't mention Iran and the possible collapse, which is uh, uh, becoming more and more clear of the Palestinian Authority. So, Gil, I have a, a segment here on Altamar about youth and social justice. And this episode was particularly interesting because we're seeing many young voters are fueling this Israel's move to the hard right. And what was also interesting when I was preparing was that, meanwhile, the young Jewish diaspora, in particular in the U.S., is distancing itself from Israel as it's finding less common ground with these current kind of policies and values. What's your take on that? I think your uh, description of the situation is accurate. If we take, for instance, uh, the last elections, uh, many soldiers young, which are young uh, guys that uh, in America go to college uh, at that age, uh, voted for uh, the Ben Gvir Smotrich uh, uh, party. On the other hand, we know that uh, Jews in America, young Jews in America, are more and more uh, liberal, and there is a growing gap. And even now, before the establishment of the government, there is a growing gap between the two uh, communities. Uh, I agree with you that uh, this is a major challenge for the next uh, generation, for the coming 20, 30 years. But uh, I must tell you, it isn't something that really bothers the majority of Israelis. They don't see it as a problem. They don't care. And I'll maybe make an, an uh, analogy uh, to one of Donald Trump's uh, uh, slogans. So instead, he's saying America first. So the Israelis see it as Israel first. And uh, what young Jews in America think about them doesn't really matter to them. But the relationship between the United States and Israel does matter. And, um, yes, you know, the relationship between the United States and Israel has never been, uh, has always been a special one, but there have been moments in which uh, things got worse, like when Obama was president. And I mean, how, how do you see the, this new extremist government interacting with a, U.S. government that at least for the next two years is certainly uh, Joe Biden's government and possibly, uh, you know, you'll have another Democratic president. But at least for the next two years, I mean, this is going to be a very difficult relationship, won't it? I will surprise you here because, uh, as you mentioned, Israel's number one strategic threat is, of course, the alliance with the uh, United States. And, you know, this alliance is uh, based uh, not only on interest, but also on goals and values. And no doubt that this government might, might challenge at least the values part of uh, the formula. But you need to remember one thing, that Bibi is the prime minister. And Bibi is a very experienced leader. He understands very well the importance of the alliance. And unlike what he did with Obama, Obama is not Biden. He will work hard to avoid public clashes 
with the Biden administration. On the other end, I don't see uh, the Biden administration working with uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir, for instance. Uh, so uh, they will bypass him, uh, like they are doing within other countries in the world that they don't like specific uh, people. So they will work with people that they know for many years from the Likud party. So at the end of the day, I don't see Israel relations uh, with the United States deteriorate tremendously even with this uh, government. That's that, that's interesting. So let's talk about relations that will deteriorate. Right? I told you I'll surprise you. Yeah, I did, you did surprise me. You're right. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure I agree because I think there will be a lot of pressure in Congress to be tougher. But anyway, but I do want to talk about Israeli Arabs. I mean, there was a outbreak of violence in Israeli Arab cities a few years ago or in joint cities like Lod. Uh, which have uh, you know uh, both Jewish and Arab populations. I mean, I, 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 I just shudder to think what this does, this uh, extremist government does to relationships between Israeli Jews and Israeli Arabs. Yes, and remember that Ben Gvir is the minister who is responsible now for the the law enforcement there in the Arab communities in the Arab uh, cities. Uh, so I'm sure the Arab community is uh, uh, very disturbed. But you need to, to see that also Benvir himself changed the rhetoric in the last uh, election. He isn't attacking the Arabs anymore. He replaced the word Arabs with the word terrorist. So now you should ask who is a terrorist and who isn't a terrorist. But uh, again, I'm sure that the... Uh, Arab community is uh, very, very uh, worried. But eventually, also in that respect, even though uh, he's the national security uh, minister, uh, the buck stops with Bibi. And Bibi is very experienced. And uh, he isn't going to let Bengvir do crazy things. So we need to separate between the racist rhetoric that we hear and actual policy, uh, which I believe may be wishful thinking, I don't know, uh, will be much more moderate. That's interesting. So let's talk last, my last, uh, I, I know Muni has a couple of questions, but my last question is more about the Palestinian Authority. You already hinted at how near collapse it is. Talk, talk to us a little bit about how you see this new government's relationship with the Palestinian Authority. Okay, if we are talking about any prospect for peace, there is none. Uh, there is no place for a dialogue, for a, a two-state solution. Uh, this government rhetoric is all about annexation of territory, not dividing or sharing the territory with, uh, uh, with anyone. So the concept of two-state solution is dead for the timing and maybe dead forever because, uh, you know, there are circumstances on the ground that change reality. And uh, as years go by, uh, it will be harder and harder to separate the two communities, especially if we are talking about uh, uh, annexations or uh, other uh, uh, such, uh, such measures. So the only uh, cooperation will continue to be the security cooperation that we see as of right now is deteriorated as well. So uh, I, I don't see any good news on that front. 
So on that on that note, Netanyahu has framed himself as a leader who can preserve security, keep the Middle East under control, so to speak. What do you think about the the future of that kind of position that he's taken and that has really served him well politically? Gulf countries certainly had no problems with him, but will they continue to have an open door policy with Israel's government if it includes these anti-Arab voices? And and how do you see that playing out? Well. Uh, as I answered Peter before Mooney uh, regarding the Israel-U.S. relations, eventually the foreign policy of Israel, there is one guy that is doing, which is uh, Netanyahu. And you know, the peace treaties we have with the Gulf states are based on interest, on mutual interest, not on rhetoric. They sign with us uh, agreements, not because uh, Israel policy towards the Palestinians. Uh, because of other things. So those things are still exist. They don't change. And because uh, Bibi is the guy that uh, uh, will continue to be the uh, the face of Israel, uh, I don't see the agreements that right now we are having uh, uh, changing anytime soon. So let's let's end this really great conversation with with some scenario building, and and we would like to hear you uh, kind of draw out some scenarios that you can envision for the next few months as this government goes from a campaign to a political coalition into actually governing. I, I assume you have like a, a, a positive and a negative outlook for this, and we would like to to kind of have you bring out the crystal ball. If, wow, it's hard, and uh, I don't want to make predictions because the reality is the way is always too surprising, at least to me. I don't know what about you. Uh, but I tell you as a reporter, it will be very interesting to follow uh, the new policies of the Netanyahu uh, government, how it handles uh, internal issues, like the one with the Supreme Court, for instance, uh, with the minorities. Uh, in Israel and also the external uh, challenges that it's going to face. But I must tell you also uh, that uh, I'm sure that the sun will rise and people in Israel will continue to go to the beach and continue to crowd the restaurants and uh, the coffee shop. Uh, yes, there will be a right-wing government, but at the end of the day, the reality, I think, is more powerful than any ideology. And I don't want to draw comparison, but I still remember one of our politicians uh, promised that if he became the Israel's defense uh, minister in 24 hours or 48 hours, uh, the head of Hamas will be assassinated. So uh, Israel didn't assassinate him when uh, this guy was in power. So it's one thing, rhetoric is one thing, and reality is a different thing. So actually, even though all the trends that I described to you, I don't see any doomsday scenario uh, on the horizon. Well, that's, that's good to hear, Gil Tamari. Thank you so much. It's always great to have you in Altamar. Bye-bye. So, Peter, Dad, this seems like a, a, an interesting 
compare we, we can make an interesting comparison with other countries that have now been forced to create coalitions uh, to win elections and then uh, somehow as as Gil says rather optimistically maybe the the way they govern is different from the way they campaign um, I'm thinking about Brazil I'm thinking about Colombia I'm thinking about Italy it really happens uh, right and left but it does seem this time that Netanyahu went too far and that it's going to be very difficult to move back into the center. And I'm not an expert like Gil, but the kind of the political trend seems to be uh, have gone a little too far. I think what Gil is saying and what's so interesting and controversial about what he's saying is that don't get too excited about all the rhetoric, because when you have such a huge figure the elephant in the room is Bibi Netanyahu. He's been there for so long. He's so, whether you like him or not, he's certainly capable. And the face and voice of the Israeli government will be Netanyahu. And if Ben Gvir goes too far, he'll be reined in. If somebody goes too, too left, too right, too, too in front, too behind, they'll all be reined in by this larger-than-life figure that is Netanyahu is going to control things. And, and so I, I, I found it a, an interesting point of view. I, I Personally, I think that sort of there will be a backlash, yet more backlashes against Israel from, uh, you know, increasingly independent civil society voices. But that that's exactly what I what I was thinking right now. We aren't we overestimating Netanyahu's power? We've heard from Thea about all those the, the political base, the young political base that's concerning. But I think his point about short term, right? Short the sun will rise and also in terms of its relationship with the US, which I was very surprised about, about how Gil analyzed it. Um and I, I can see that, right? Because We've also seen from the U.S. side that the Biden administration doesn't care so much about, you know, humanitarian problems in countries. I mean, think of Saudi Arabia. Um, so likely, will you know, it, it remains with the same interests that it has with Israel and will probably continue to partner with Israel, regardless of what Israel does on the humanitarian side with the Arabs or with the LGBTQ community. It probably doesn't care about that so much. But what really is interesting to me is the future or the long term. Um, and, you know, young voters right now, you know, that's kind of under the radar that Israel is moving right because of many young voters. But I think it will definitely affect the country longer term, thinking five, 10 years from now. So I think we'll have to wait to see those results. And uh, with that, you can listen to Altamar wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review us. It helps us a lot on Apple Podcasts. Also sign up for our biweekly free newsletter where we give you an analysis of global trends beyond our episodes. We'll see you next time.